0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at bethlehem.church. The scripture today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. I will read and the sermon will focus mainly on chapter 9 verses 6 through 15. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9 which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the
1: Lord. Let's pray. So, Lord, we do thank you for the inexpressible gift we have in Jesus Christ. We do thank you for the gospel, uh, the gospel that saves us from our sins that we've sung about and prayed about, and God, now we're going to look at again in your word. So, Lord, help this people by your Spirit uh, leave this place a generous people, people who taste and see that the Lord is good, that his gospel is great, that his sacrifice is much and who just want to follow in those footsteps by the power of the Spirit. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to the last sermon of our Citizens and Sojourners sermon series. Next week we'll start Advent. We're just going to walk through the themes of Advent together. You can see the introduction here is no guilt-driven giving, only thanksgiving. Hope you'll appreciate the pun on words, and I thought maybe I'd loosen you up a little bit before giving sermon, but the early results are not good, so <laughs> we will uh, we'll just dive in here. Um, in case you wondered if this sermon is really a, a well-timed ploy uh, right before we launch as a separate church, I uh, want you to know I'm just not that good at things like that and this sermon has actually been planned for this weekend for about 7 or 8 months as the series was planned and with Thanksgiving as a backdrop this is the last official sermon in our in our series as we've looked at what it means to be a family in Christ a people that saved and adopted and empowered To overflow in love for God with all that we are. For that love to overflow in love for those around us. And to see more come into the family until we see Jesus face to face. And over and over again in every sermon we've said that anything we accomplish will have to be by the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. Right? Everything we accomplish will be by his power and his presence. And that's no different with being a generous people. This is an important sermon in the day and age we live in. Jesus talks about money more than almost anything. And so we don't want to be afraid to talk about it here. And we do want to be marked by the kind of generosity that adorns the gospel, a generous gospel that we've been saved by. So like our sermon last week, you'll remember last week we said about loving one another, that we're supposed to love like Jesus loved. We're we're brought into his love right by his sacrifice, and then we're empowered to love like he loves. In the same way, we are saved by the generosity of Jesus and therefore brought into his generous love so that we can be generous as he is generous by the power of of the Spirit. You'll notice today, uh, I won't talk about any percentages or amounts, because you won't find any in the New Testament. You won't find any percentages, any amounts in the New Testament. No numbers to measure up to, just the example of Jesus alive in the hearts of his people. That's the New Testament kind of standard of giving, the example of Jesus alive in the hearts of his people. So this is the verse I want ringing in your mind as we walk through these chapters quickly together. 2 Corinthians 8-9, you can look at it, and it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The example of Jesus alive in the hearts of God's people. So I want to be really, really clear at the outset here. I don't want any guilt-driven giving here in this church. I want zero guilt-driven giving. So if you're giving right now because you're supposed to and it feels like this this guilt-driven burden, just stop. Just stop giving. We don't want any guilt-driven giving. And rather, you stop giving completely. So don't hear condemnation today. Don't hear condemnation. Rather, today, my hope from the Word of God, because I think that's what the Word of God does here, is an invitation. Not condemnation, but invitation. My prayer is that all of us would be invited one step more into the reality that it is more blessed to give than to receive. For some of us, that might be beginning to give for the first time. Maybe you're a a kid, a young kid, or you're in high school and you just started your first job. Maybe this is the moment you just begin to give for the very first time. For uh, others of us, it may mean giving more than we've given before as God grants grace. And for others of us, it may mean pausing to pray and check our hearts And make sure that we're not guilt-driven givers, but cheerful givers. So what we're going to do is a fast and furious overview. And I preached through this text the last time. It was five weeks. We won't be here for five hours. Okay, we're going to go quick through points two and three and kind of linger in points one and four as we go. So point number one, joy in Jesus overflows in abundant generosity. So two really quick points of context for chapters 8 and 9 before we just dive in. Point number one is that Paul is writing to these Corinthian church about a collection of money from a group of churches for the relief of the church in Jerusalem. So he's planned this collection. He's now about ready to come and carry out the collection for relief of these churches. Point number two is therefore while we can certainly apply principles from these chapters to other forms of generosity like energy and time, and all those things, the main message here is about actual money, financial generosity. So we're going to make that our main thing today, because it's the main thing here. So look at me first as we dive into verses 1 and 4. These, these verses are really remarkable about what joy in Jesus does to our hearts. Here's what it says. We want you to know, brothers, chapter 8, verse 1, about the grace of God... That has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the grace of Of taking part in the relief of the saints. So, Paul's going to start out these chapters with a testimony of grace from these churches in Macedonia. He wants the church in Corinth to hear about the grace of God in Macedonia, and he wants South City's church to hear about the grace of God in Macedonia. So, notice four things in these four verses about what's happened in the churches in Macedonia. Number one, notice that it all flows from grace. All of it. Paul starts by saying, we want you to know about the grace of God given. In other words, the biggest thing that's been given is the grace of God. God's grace is the ultimate thing that's been given. There are no merit badges here. There's no legalistic number to live up to. There's no guilt-driven giving. Paul says from the beginning, this is all grace, all from God. He's the fountain that has flowed into the Macedonians, and from him they are overflowing. That's number one. Number two, the Macedonians are in a severe test of afflictions themselves. Paul says they're actually in, what he would say, extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. In other words, this this isn't a people that has a bunch extra to give. This isn't a people that's trying to figure out budgets because of inflation. Those are all real things, but this is a people in extreme poverty. So it's all from grace. There's extreme poverty. Number three, their joy was abundant. Their joy was abundant. As grace is given, as their poverty is being experienced, their joy is abundant. And number four, maybe most amazing to me every time I read this passage, is that they begged earnestly. Like, hey, Paul, we we heard that there's some, some Christians in this place and they're, they're struggling and they need help and you're taking up a collection and we love Jesus and we love the church. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Can we give? Paul's going, I, should you give? It's a lot of poverty. They go, can we? Can we please give? And the word there for, for favor is grace. It's the word for favor there. It's, it's grace. Notice again, there's, there's no percentages. It's an abundance of generosity. He doesn't say they, they gave the most, right? This might be like the widow's might, just like giving a little bit of what they had, but they had nothing. And so he says, an abundance of generosity, and they want in. They know that to give because of the love of Jesus and for the good of the church, to give, to participate in, that is grace. So, the word for favor there is, they go, We want more grace, and in giving, there's grace. Notice to them to give is a grace to participate in, not a begrudging burden to bear. In other words, here would be the equation for the Macedonian church poverty plus grace equals abundant generosity. That's an unbelievable equation. <laughs> poverty plus grace, equals an abundant generosity. So then we could ask the question, because it says they have this joy, they're overflowing in joy, we could ask the question, well, does Paul anywhere say explicitly, what's going on in these people? Why? Why are they begging? He does. Verse 5. If you wondered, well, did Paul come down hard on the Macedonians? He used some gimmicks, tried to squeeze as much out of them as he could. He says this, verse 5 not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Why did they want to give and participate in this thing going on? Because they had given themselves to the Lord. All their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that love for him made them into a people marked by grace and marked by joy that led to generosity despite their own affliction and poverty that that overflowed to their neighbors. In other words, we love Jesus. He saved us from our sins. He he emptied himself of everything. He became poor that we might be rich in him. Yes, we're in poverty in this life. But man, we have a kingdom coming, an inheritance coming that makes us the rich people in the world can we participate we have given ourselves to him we trust him and therefore we want to give ourselves to our brothers and sisters in this way that's the key to generosity to give yourself to the lord first if anything think about this if anything besides jesus was first in the lives of these macedonians would this have happened i don't think so right? I don't think so. If anything besides Jesus was first, there would have been all sorts of other priorities to protect, all sorts of legitimate reasons not to give. (laughs) Legitimate. Paul says, I didn't expect this. They have legitimate reasons not to give, but because Jesus was first, everything they had, even if it was little, even if it was from a place of poverty, was just a joyful opportunity to steward what he had given them to make much of him. So that that would be the core of my prayer for us. That people would know us as a people that had given themselves first to the Lord and are amazed by the generosity of his gospel. You won't give away any of your stuff if you haven't given yourself to the Lord. Right, who's gonna go, yeah, Jesus is like seventh but I give like he's first. No, no one's going to do that. This is my prayer for us. Verses 6 to 15 then, if you're going to follow the logic, I'm not going to read through all of it, but it's really Paul getting the Corinthians ready for their turn. He says, here's what happened in Macedonia, and he, he's pretty forceful. Then you can read through it yourself, and I'll just let his words be forceful um, as we talk about this. But his... His, his, his reality is, hey, this is what happened in Macedonia and Corinthians. You've got a lot extra, so get ready. <laughs> get your hearts ready. Right? He wants them to be ready for their turn to follow in the footsteps of the Macedonians. And more than that, like we said earlier in verse 9, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as he reminds them that their model for generosity is Jesus himself, who became poor... That others might become rich in him. Right? So think of the Macedonians. They're what? Poor. Giving so that others' needs might be met. Jesus became poor. That he might meet all of our needs in himself. And so he says, Follow the Macedonians as you follow Jesus. Paul uses the words readiness and ready often through the rest of this chapter. Kids, your parents probably tell you it's time to get ready before you leave your house, right? Especially church mornings, there's like that half hour where it's crazy, right? Get ready! You're ready! Where are your shoes? Get ready! Why aren't your shoes on? I told you about your shoes 20 minutes ago, right? Your parents want you to be ready. You can't just leave the house in your pajamas five minutes after you got up. You have to prepare. And that's what Paul is telling them to do with their hearts when it comes to giving. He's calling them to pray to seek the Lord, get their hearts ready to give as God leads, to get their hearts ready to believe giving was grace like the Macedonians believed. And he says this generosity will be evidence of their love for the Lord and for the church. In other words, this doesn't save them, no percentages, no amounts, but this is evidence, our generosity is evidence that we've been affected at the heart level by a generous God and a generous gospel. This is one of the reasons why we have a moment for offering each week in our services. It's because we want to help you ready your heart to give. And we want to help you see giving as part of worship. Not just an extra thing on the side, but giving of our tithes and offerings is a giving that's worship. So let's pray that we'd be a church given to grace ourselves to the Lord first and be amazed by the way he emptied himself completely to make us rich in him, a people marked by joy in Jesus and ready, abundant generosity. So as we look at these first 15 verses, the questions we should be asking our hearts are, is Jesus first? Is he, is he worthy of being first? Have, have I given myself to, to Jesus it's the first and most important question before how much do I give. Am I giving myself first to Jesus, my first and my best to Him in every way? And if I am, how does that begin to change how I view my stuff, how I view my, my money, how I view everything I have? And am, am I ready to give? Am I ready? Is your heart ready? Another way to say it could be eager to give because I've been given so much in Jesus. Let's be a people marked that way. Okay, section two here, I'm going to fly through it. Joy in Jesus overflows in abundant integrity. Chapter 8, verses 16 to 24. Verses 16 to 24 is Paul basically letting them know who will be coming to them and how they're going to take this offering. They're sending three people known for their faithfulness to the gospel and their faithfulness to the church. These are faithful guys with a reputation for being faithful in all that they do. In other words, they're sending their best to make sure that there's integrity with this money. The point here is how we steward our money as a church Being wise with our our collecting and our stewardship of it really matters. It's an overflow of our abundant joy in Jesus that we want to make the name of Jesus great and give no reason for suspicion that would cause others to walk away from Him. And so we want to have good accounting systems and good collection processes and a budget in front of you. That you can say, this is where your money's going. Here's how we're going to do it. It really matters for the name of Jesus. Let me just point out a few key verses in this section. Verses 20 to 21. Paul says, We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Or verse 23, As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers for the ch- of the churches, the glory of Christ. In other words, we're to aim at what is honorable in the sight of God and man and how we handle our money. Joy in Jesus will cause us to overflow in generosity. And joy in Jesus will cause us to overflow in integrity that the name of Jesus would not be sullied or there not be suspicion because we're foolish with the way we do it. All right, point number three, joy in Jesus overflows an abundant appeal. Chapter nine, verses one to five. Because Paul has this deep love for Jesus and his church, he's not afraid to make needs known. In chapter eight, He gave the example of the Macedonians and more so the example of Christ to get them ready to have hearts of generosity. Now he reminds them again in chapter 9. So look at verses 3 to 5 with me. Paul says, I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be, Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we'd be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. So Paul sends brothers ahead to again give them time to get their hearts ready, right? There's a need. (laughs) He wants to call them to ready their hearts to meet it however they can, and he makes them ready so that it would be a willing gift and not an exaction. Again, this principle of no guilt-driven, gimmick-driven giving, only glad generosity. And so joy in Jesus and love for the church will sometimes uh, overflow in appeal, So Paul has this joy in Jesus. He's seen that joy at work in Macedonia. And therefore, because of his joy in Jesus and his love for the church, he's making the need known, appealing again and praying God pours out more grace from a willing gift from this people. And so, we're not afraid to make needs known here. That's that's what our budget is. Hey, here's what we want to do. Here's what we want to do together. Right? No percentages, no guilt, just a call to give yourself to Jesus and pray. So as we get to December, we'll be counting on giving like we always have to support local ministry, to support global partners, to support staffing, to support operational costs, to support the budget we have needs. And we say this so you can be ready to give willingly and not as an exaction. We don't ever want to be like, hey, uh, we, we need this much by the end. Please, now, we're burdening you that way so that it feels like, oh, there's this pressure. Like, I just want you to be ready and willing to say, I've given myself to Jesus. I've talked to Him. Prayed with Him. I've talked to my friends and my family about what's wise. And man, I'm eager. <laughs> I'm eager to give this gift. We trust the Lord here. He knows our needs and what I'm confident of is that He will give us exactly what we need to fulfill the calling of our church. He will and He has. He's a cheerful giver Himself. So as we move towards December, this is just a call to pray and seek Jesus and give ourselves to the Lord and ready our hearts to give willingly and not as an exaction. So sometimes our joy in Jesus and our love for the church makes us say, hey, here's a need. Could you help us? Could you help us with this need? And then this is the point I'm going to hang out a little bit longer on. These verses, um, verses 6 to 15, are paradigm shifting. They are radically paradigm shifting if we understand them. So much so that the first time I preach to them, I don't know that I've ever done more double and triple and quadruple checks on my exegesis. <laughs> like, I get the logic of this wrong and I'm wrong about what I'm seeing here, I'm really going to mess people up. <laughs> I'm really going to mess up their, their budgets and all this stuff. But the logic in the paradigm here will change our lives and change our hearts if the Spirit works. So what I want to do now and what Paul's going to do now is provoke the Corinthians to joy in Jesus that overflows in generosity. By reminding them of some big promises from the generous God. In other words, he's going to say, here's what God promises to do. You want in? (laughs) You want into this? You want into this joy? You want in to this mission? Listen to verses 6 to 9. Paul says, the point is this. So now he's getting down to to the main foundational points. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. No guilt-driven giving. You hear that again. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, notice all the alls, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So Paul says here, let me get to my point. If you sow a little, you'll reap a little. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Decide in your heart if you want to sow a little or a lot and then go all in with a cheerful heart. <laughs> That's what he's saying. That's the bottom line. Give a little, give a lot, do it cheerfully. But Paul wants to be honest with them. If you want a big harvest, you've got to scatter a lot of seed. Right? If you, if you plant... Just five plants, how many plants can grow? Five. (laughs) That wasn't a trick question. (laughs) If you plant eight plants, how many plants can grow? Eight. Good job. Thank you. You're with me. That's good. So that's what Paul's saying. He's saying if you want a big harvest, you'll have to scatter a lot of seed. And again, he's not talking about amounts. He's talking about the abundance of your heart's generosity. Right? He's, he's talking about the way your heart interacts with the promises of God and lets go of your stuff, uncurls your hands and says, God, it's all yours. And he does that by appealing to two things about God. Here's the first thing. He looks with pleasure on our cheerful giving. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That as you open your hands and give to the Lord... Remember, all of it's from him. It's not, like, it's not like some of it's from you and some of it's from him. It's all from him. And as he sees you, you say, I want to give back. I want to open my hands and, and mirror the generosity I've received in Christ. God looks and goes, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that the gospel is working in you. So happy. You get it. You, you get the gospel. You get the logic that self-giving creates life, that pouring out unto death leads to life, that poverty leads to riches. You get it. Why does God delight so much in cheerful givers? Because no one is more cheerful giver than God. That's Why? I mean, if you think about it, Jesus went to the cross. Why? For the joy (laughs) set before Him. Right? It was the pleasure. That's the word in Isaiah 53. It was the pleasure of the Father to crush His Son. Joy, pleasure. God loves our cheerful giving because He is a cheerful giver. He will supply all we need practically, yes, yes, But he supplies abundantly and cheerfully in salvation for the whole world in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves cheerful givers because he's a cheerful giver. I I hope you feel that. God delights to save you. Right? God loves you. God sent his son for the joy set before him to endure this cross for you, to bring you in. Like we talked about last week, into this eternal love of the Trinity. So if you feel like God's stingy towards you or he, he barely lets you in, then that might affect what you do with your stuff. You might be stingy and you might barely give away because you're just going, God barely loves me. Like, and if he does, he regrets letting me in, but he doesn't. He delights in it. He is the most cheerful giver. You are fully known and fully loved and the generosity of the gospel is yours in Christ Jesus and always will be. He wants to make known to you the riches of his kindness towards you for all of eternity. What kind of God is it? You know what I want to do for you? Just for all of eternity and help you know how much I love you. That's the kind of generosity of the God that we serve. That's point number one. Point number two about God is that whatever you decide, sowing a little or sowing a lot, the promise is that God will empower it. It's the promise. He will make all grace abound for you to accomplish it so that you can abound in every good work. As you decide to be more generous, God will supply. That's what it says. It's talking about money. As you give more, God will supply. He will supply. We don't have to fear. It's a promise. He distributes freely and he owns it all. He gives freely. He owns it all. His righteousness endures forever. He keeps his promises. That's the point. So deciding if you'll sow a little or a lot of generosity is really deciding how much you want to see God meet you, how much you want to see his grace empower you to cheerful giving as you seek to follow in the generosity of Jesus how much you decide to sow a little or a lot in your generosity is how much of the joy of God's empowering presence you want in your life. Again, no percentages here. We don't see any. No amounts. Just cheerful, faith-filled, joy-filled generosity. But the promises get crazier. Uh, These verses are the ones, these next two verses are the ones that just changed how we thought about our budget, how, how we should think about money in general, and it is Wild verses ten to eleven. It says this he who supplies seed to the sower, that's God, and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So let me let me put it this way most of us when we do our giving you probably think of it generally in terms of subtraction, right? Like, how much can we afford? How much should we take away? What's, what's left? How can, we, how can we do this math? What can we give? You think of it as subtraction. That's how you do other expenses. Like, how do we subtract and give? But Paul says we're doing the wrong kind of math. He says it's not subtraction. It's multiplication, right? And 5 minus 3 is a lot different than 5 times 3, Those are a lot different answers. Who supplies the seed? Right? Who supplies your needs? God. It's all Him. What do we have that we haven't received? Right? He cares for the sparrows. How much more will He care for and provide for us? It's all from Him. And this promise is that as you set it in your heart to sow more generously financially, God will increase. Two really significant things. First, he'll increase a harvest of righteousness. It's a question. Do you want to be more like Jesus? you want to walk in further faithfulness to him? Do you want a harvest of righteousness? As you set your heart to give more of what God has given you back to him, says he'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. And second, if you say, well, yeah, I want righteousness, but I still kind of need money. <laughs> to make it point number two is he will give you more in order that you can keep giving more you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way he will keep giving you more in order that you can keep giving more it will keep multiplying it's a promise you give more, God gives you more to give more you say how? where will it come from? Well, that's what's fun about it, <laughs> is that he owns it all, and we don't know. I don't have those answers. It will come from wherever God wants it to come, right? He owns it all. Scatter your seed, scatter more seed, and watch God come back and say, well done. You scattered more seed. I'm going to give you even more seed to scatter this coming year. Now, listen, you can't trick God, right? So don't get any ideas, <laughs> This is not the prosperity gospel where God's a vending machine. You put in a dollar and you get $10 back, right? They're missing one step. This is a promise. If we, by faith, from joy in Jesus, set our hearts to overflow in generosity and abundant sowing, God, the one who owns it all, promises that he will enrich us in every way to be generous in every way. He won't give you more to hoard it. He will give you more to give it while he supplies all of your needs. That's the promise. Like if you give more, he'll give you more to give more. And he will keep multiplying. He uses the word multiplication. What happens then? Imagine, imagine that happens. Right, imagine that happens and... And people start sowing more abundantly. Their hearts are open to generosity. They're multiplying their seed. And God is just doing crazy things. We're telling stories about how he's meeting needs as we give more. What happens when that happens? Well, God gets praise. See it with me in three places. Verse 12, there will be overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 12, he owns it all. He's supplying. We praise him. Or verse 13, they will glorify God because of the generosity. Or verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. When all this happens, who gets the glory? Us? Like, look, look at us, we gave more. God's like, I want it all. <laughs> you just gave what I gave you, and I'm one who kept giving you more and more. He gets all of the glory as our hearts open up in generosity. We get the joy. God gets the glory. He owns it all. And we cheerfully give abundantly from what he's given us. We watch him work and feel the joy of seeing again and again a God who keeps his promises. And as he works and multiplies and gives us more to give more, he gets thanksgiving and praise for being the ultimate cheerful giver of all that we need practically and ultimately in the gospel. This is all about him. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now I have so many stories of how this mindset, this paradigm shift changes people, and so many stories of how God meets these needs as they open up their hearts to give more, and I could share those with you, but instead uh, we're going to end today actually by hearing a testimony from someone right among us who has had this logic change his family's life and heart. So Steve, you want to come up?
2: I was speaking with Pastor Nick this week and saying how excited I was to hear Pastor Dave will be preaching through 2 Corinthians 9 because its promises have brought Angela, my wife and I, great joy over the last several years. We have found that 2 Corinthians 9 is an invitation to joy through glad-filled giving and we have seen God's goodness and faithfulness to his promises. In 2016, Pastor Jason preached through 2 Corinthians 9, and it changed how I view giving. For a long time, I had memorized verse 7, which states, Each one must give as he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Pastor Jason reminded us that generous giving comes from a glad-filled heart in God. But what struck me was when he spoke about the principle of multiplication in verse 10. And we just read that, which states, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Pastor Jason helped us understand this principle. When we give to God, he gives us more so that we can give increasingly more. In other words, the more we give, the more we will be able to give. It's a multiplication effect, both in a harvest of righteousness and in our ability to give more to the gospel. The promise struck me. In 2016, Angela and I filled out a giving commitment like many of us did at Bethlehem. We put down an uncomfortable number for us, and during the onset, we even experienced some unusual financial setbacks. Additionally, halfway through the two-year giving commitment, we weren't certain how we would keep it based on various things going on in our life. But at the end of the second year, I can't tell you the joy we experienced when not only God, God not only allowed us to fulfill the commitment, but also to exceed it. And every year since then, God has allowed us to give increasingly more, for which I am thankful. At the end of this year... I feel generosity again, but to be transparent, I still feel a temptation to hold back when I look at things going on in the economy and our world. However, in those moments, I ask myself, why would I want to retreat from that kind of joy? I'm reminded again of the joy in giving and that God is faithful to his promises, and Angela and I want more of that.
1: So I hope that encourages you uh... God keeps his promises. Everything I just said, it actually works. Uh, not by some mystical forces, but because God owns everything. <laughs> he owns everything, and he can keep all the promises he makes. So I'm thankful when I heard Steve's story that he was willing to give us a real, real-time example of it. So we're going to move uh, now towards communion. So I'm going to have you bow your heads, and I'm going to pray for us as we come to the table and, and walk towards that moment together. So, Lord, this table uh, it's a reminder of how generous you are to us in Christ. It's like Bruce said in the welcome, you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. How will you not also with him graciously give us all things? How lavishly have we been loved in Christ? How richly have we been loved by Jesus making himself poor so that we could be rich in him. Lord, thank you for the gospel. If nothing else, Lord, would this be a moment where the, the abundance of your gospel heart towards us and for us is so clear that we again say we want to give ourselves first to the Lord. God, would that be true for every heart in this room? So that where sin is clinging, we'd, we'd run away from it because of the, the treasure we have in Jesus. Where suffering is weighing down, that we remember that this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory in the gospel with you for, forever. Lord, where we're clinging to our stuff, um, just set us free uh, by your gospel And Lord, there are no amounts, there's no percentages, there's no guilt-driven giving, but Lord, I pray that, that we'd be marked as a generous people who adorn such a generous gospel with generosity among ourselves. So Lord, as we come to eat and drink with you, I pray that we would lay everything at the foot of the cross, remembering again your generosity towards us. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.